Our song of response after the sermon will be Psalm 86, the first and second stanzas. Our text is the same as our reading of this morning. Because of its length, we will not repeat it. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ecclesiastes has always been a bit of a mystery to us. It seems to speak about such negative things. Nothing is new under the sun. Everything that is under the sun is meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is is meaningless. It further seems to suggest that life is about eating and drinking and being merry. About enjoying those things because... That's the best you will get living this life. Some have even asked the question, does Ecclesiastes in fact deny life after death? I think it's safe to say that we have all at one time or another struggled with trying to understand Ecclesiastes. With an eye on the rest of scripture, we have asked, what is the hope of man in this book? Where does Christ come into the picture? Does Ecclesiastes fit the bill of being a canonical book? Does it hold the same value as, for instance, the book of Psalms or Romans? What shall we make of it? Perhaps it's good to start by looking at the one who wrote it. While the son of David, king of Jerusalem could be any of David's sons who reigned after him. Most Christian exegetes of any worth attribute the book to Solomon. He is the wisest of David's sons. He is the one who more than any other was taught by God to know wisdom throughout his life. Now one has the idea that Solomon wrote these words after not only living to serve God, but also after he had lived a life of foolishly serving other gods, as then to come back to the Lord all the wiser. You will notice with our reading of this morning that the word teacher is used in the NIV, Whereas before, most of us knew the word to be preacher. The Hebrew word that one is looking at to translate here is the word koheleth, which means one who gathers, assembles, or collects. As such, the best translation might well be the word, the searcher. And if you stop and think about that for a moment, then you become more and more convinced that this is is perhaps the word we should be using. For Solomon time and again speaks in this book about how he has searched out wisdom. And he did that not so as to come to a certain conclusion in the end of his letter, 
But to write out the words of this book, right well knowing what that conclusion was, and saying it right from the beginning, meaningless, everything is meaningless. So let us look at this this morning, brothers and sisters, at what Solomon has discovered that Scripture says can help us for living lives pleasing to the Lord. I proclaim to you then the word of our Lord as we find that with our text under the following theme and heads. That's the text of Ecclesiastes 1. Living in a world where everything seems meaningless. See, in the first place, nothing in and of itself satisfies. Secondly, generations come and go while the earth remains. And third, what is lacking cannot be counted. First of all, then, living in a world where everything seems meaningless, nothing in and of itself satisfies. Congregation, one of the greatest quests of man is to find meaning to his life. Everyone at one time will ask him or herself the question, Who am I? Why am I on this earth? I'm sure you've done that. You've looked at the world through your eyes and said, Hey, this is me looking at the rest. But my neighbor must be doing the same thing. Why am I in this body and not in some other one? Why did my soul not enter another person, another body, placing me in another family than the one I'm in? We've all asked those questions. And so the Bible, we know, addresses us, but then still we have our questions. So begins man's quest of looking at the meaning of life. René Descartes, the father of modern philosophy, is often called, tried to make it all clear and understandable when in speaking about the starting point of who we are and what we are to become, said, I think Therefore I am, cogito ergo sum. I know I am because I'm thinking. Therefore I must be. And that must be my start. That must be man's start. There's nothing as positive to start with, he said. We know, much as he is called the father of modern philosophy, We know that his reasoning was taken by others through the centuries all the way to what we know today as capitalism, communism, socialism. And in each instance, man used the starting point of man as a reason for being and a reason for finding understanding to his or her place and role in this world. And who's to deny that out of all of this, great empires have been formed and great names have appeared. Names that, and nations that others have looked at in awe and found reason for saying, 
There is a great and and noble purpose with man. There's a glorious future. He just has to work at it. But brothers and sisters, in each and every instance, the hopes and aspirations of men have proved to be short-sighted. For if the truth must be told, then for every great moment, and for every great person, and for every great nation, there comes a time when that moment is forgotten, or that life is ended, or that nation has come to ruin, and its place is known no more. They're replaced simply because there is no continuity to the life of man. And this ultimately spelled the end of everything that he has stood for and will stand for. And so you may say, how is it then? Are we here in life just to exist and not make anything of it? Did God place us in this world for that reason? Some in the early Christian church have reasoned that way and so hid themselves in, in, in cloisters or they sat literally on poles in the desert waiting for the end. It was especially the reformers who steered the ship, that is the church, in a whole different direction. They said that man was placed in this world to work. Perhaps you've heard the expression, Protestant work ethic. It's often thrown in the faces of our children by the socialist teachers that permeate our universities, teaching academies. It's thrown in our faces as that which has led to the great inequality among men. Because that whole ethic has led to exploitation of the weak, the coming of slavery as we know it in the last centuries, and all done by those who are rich and stronger. And it's not to say that things were not wrong with this ethic. Indeed, there's been much abuse and exploitation by those who held this view. And it's still that way today. Yet we know that our society would not be as advanced, our health would not be as good, and our suffering would not be as diminished if this thinking had not had some prevalence in our Western society. And yet, brothers and sisters... We have before us this morning the word of God, which would teach us that all the things that we strive for in life are meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Have we been ever so wrong to look at life the way we have then? I do believe that all of it was Not wrong, but much of it was and is wrong. 
was one thing to work and use the things that God had placed on this earth in order to manufacture things that would help us to do our work, to do it easier. And did some peoples of the earth end up with greater prosperity than others? Well, that in and of itself is not wrong. God's purpose is to bless us. And then look at the Old Testament. You will see it time and again how God blessed the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, Israel as person and Israel as nation. By giving them wealth and ease of life. The world can be a beautiful place. And we may certainly work towards enjoying that beauty and benefiting from the wealth it has to offer. But congregation, Solomon was not an ignorant man. First of all, Solomon had more wealth than any king of his time. He lived in the lap of luxury. He even had many wives and concubine, which were obviously signs of wealth in those days and, and a demonstration of pleasure and comfort. But Solomon, but God allowed Solomon to go through all of that and come to a time when the wealth and the passion of life became his all in all. We may say that Solomon experienced it over and over and over again, as they say, in spades. The pleasures that men strive for in this life or hope to experience only to come to the day when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes for us. It was after all of those experiences of pleasure that God, who had given him more wisdom than any man, that man has had or man has had since, that he turned his heart and mind and eyes to see what was truly wise. His assessment on life was then addressed in one word, congregation. Yes, of all of that experience that he had, all of that wealth, all of that pleasure, one word served to describe it all. Meaningless. Everything in life is meaningless. We have to understand that, brothers and sisters. That Solomon saw it all. Everything we might cherish in life, he saw it all. Experienced it all. Till the time came when he said, What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Listen carefully to those words. Solomon doesn't say, what did all of that wealth and all of those wives really do for me? Nobody carries his thoughts past all that to a more noble thought, the thought that touches the very basics of life, the thought that touches not only his life as the wealthiest of men, but the life of the most simple, hardworking man. What does that simple man really gain? From all his labor at which he toils under the sun. Solomon doesn't want any of us out of the picture here, congregation. 
He comes to us this morning and He asks each of us, what do you really gain from your labor? And then you have to ask yourself that question. What do I really gain from what I'm doing? Perhaps you're of the mind to try and go where Solomon went. If you are, then you may know the answer before you start. Your quest is meaningless. If you think that what life has to offer is going to bring you everlasting bliss or gain, it will not. Indeed, it will leave you desolate because everything you think is gain in life, it will be taken from you when you die. It will not save your life. The gold you possess, the huge home you live in, if you put your trust in it, you'll find it's only a temporary thing, that it has no lasting value. Perhaps you will say, well, it will be there to help my children. Well, you may think that. And it's not to say that we may not leave an inheritance to our children. Of course we may. We may be happy to know when we die that they are all well taken care of financially. That in itself is not wrong. But what Solomon is addressing this morning, congregation, has to do with that which has an enduring quality. That is his quest in life. He has had his fill with the temporal, that is, with the here and now. And he's discovered that the temporal, the in-time experiences of his life, was not the answer. Because it could not give him an enduring answer. Is there anything that will minister continually to my need? That highest good, which if I find it, I do not need to look any further? We have to ask ourselves that. Is there a key to continual pleasure, to delight and joy in life? It cannot be found, beloved. That's what we all need to understand. The things of this life, cannot provide us eternal security, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how wealthy we are. We all leave this world in the same way. We can't take a penny with us. It'll soon belong to someone else. It was only given to begin with on borrowed time. Nothing in and of itself satisfies perfectly. That is our conclusion. That's Solomon's conclusion. And so there is a sense where life does not make sense, brothers and sisters. Because as much as we seek eternity for our lives, every step we take and our life and breath is meant to say to us that that we will always go on. That heart will keep beating and will keep breathing. 
There's that in us that says that. Nothing in and of this life is there that will satisfy those desires that we have. As such, it doesn't give us a sense of being. But let us look at the words of Solomon a bit closer yet, congregation, in order to understand this last thing a bit better. We come to the second point. Generations come and go while the earth remains. Congregation, we've chosen this morning to look at all of chapter 1 in Ecclesiastes, and there's a lot said in this chapter, as you must realize. And we can't possibly cover every aspect of what Solomon teaches here. And therefore we have to grab here and there in the chapter in the hope of capturing some of the main thoughts as we bring them together under one theme. The theme, of course, is not too hard to find and to expand upon. Everything is meaningless. But what about the points? Well, we've touched the first point. Now comes the second. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. What does Solomon mean by that? How is that going to help us? Let's look then at what follows, for it says much the same, or seems to say the same. The sun rises and the sun sets, it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place that streams come from, there they return again. What is Solomon saying here? There are endless cycles of life, congregation. Generations come and generations go. Now you might like to take that and compare it to what we just read and say man comes and goes just like the sun and the wind and the streams. But that's not what Solomon wants to say here. No, in fact, he wants to say just the opposite. After saying generations come and generations go, he adds the words, but the earth remains forever. The earth is constant, brothers and sisters. And so are the endless cycles of what goes on in our worlds. Though it goes up and down and over and over again, year in, year out, century after century, the sun remains constant. The same can be said about the wind and the streams. They go back and forth, or in a cycle. But they're always there. There's not a drop of water that leaves this earth. It only comes in different forms. For the rest, it is constant, as is the wind. And our lives may appear to be doing the same thing. One generation replaces the former generation. There you have it. Man always remains. But congregation, there is a difference. Whereas the earth remains, we do not. 
We're found back in our children and grandchildren, but they are not us. We live and then we die. And we are no more. But do you understand what Solomon is saying with this? What does it matter that a mountain as seen today is nearly identical to how Abraham might have looked at its many, many centuries ago? I'm sure we've marveled after counting the rings on a tree and determined that it started to grow back when George Washington was born or John A. MacDonald, if you like. I'm sure you've thought about what it would be like if we, instead of that tree, lived that long. Or we've had thoughts similar to that, I'm sure. But having those thoughts means that we will also have had to come back down to earth to realize that this just cannot be. Our lives on this earth will not carry us to such length of time. It was once so that man lived nearly a thousand years. The Lord put a stop to that. What Solomon seeks to convey with this, with this comparison, is the futility that this represents for man. The futility. We are the ones who mean the most to God. We are the ones who have brains and understanding. We are the ones who have determination to make the most of life. Indeed, we'll use 200-year-old trees to simply build our furniture. What is a tree then that it can live longer than we can? What is it if not a point of frustration? The unimportant, so to speak, between quotation marks, lives on. It remains. But the one who yearns for everlasting life is here today, and he's gone tomorrow. And Solomon suggests there's something wrong in all of this. It's backwards somehow. Man should be permanent, and the things of nature should be transient and for a time. Somehow we feel a bit violated when we see these truths of life. We are born and then we grow and we train and we accomplish things. We enjoy what the world has to give more than any creature can. We live with our beautiful homes and our wealth and we enjoy our vacations. And we go to the ends of the earth. And all of that shouts at us loudly saying... I want more of this. I want to go on. But then it's over. And the tree goes on living. 
And a new life begins. And it goes through the same motions, only to end up the same. The earthly and mundane continue, but the most vibrant and meaningful creation of life passes on. And he's soon forgotten, who was once king or president or leader. Something is wrong with this. The Bible tells us that man was created to be the crown of creation. He was to have dominion over all things. God said that Adam and Eve should live forever to worship and praise him. And every man, every man has a sense of that if he has understanding at all. He feels it in his bones that that's how his life must be. He must live forever. Solomon says, The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. That about says it all, doesn't it, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? That's how we've been created to be. It hurts us to think that it will not endure. No matter how old we are, we want to live another day. We still want to experience one thing more that is new. And look at how communications have, have developed. We are today able to capture more in our minds through the media, through the computer, through internet and, and email, than have the total of all the generations before us put together. And still we strive to capture more, and that more quickly. Running, 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 ever to capture the elusive future. Nothing in this world wants things of life more than we do. But it's exactly with us that it all comes to an end. Do you hear what this is saying, congregation? Are you applying it to your life? Are you gathering in the wisdom of Solomon? Are you wise in your perception of life? You've heard what, have, what has just been said. And you know these realities are there in your life. You've experienced that. You want to live. And do you, but do you know where this is directing us? I think you do. But let's come to our last point then. It's still a negative one. But we certainly want to come to a positive one. What is lacking cannot be counted. Again, brothers and sisters, we have, have grasped once again at a portion of what Solomon has said in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 in order to come up with a third point. We might have taken another verse or thought rather than the one we did. 
But somehow the words of our third point, as we find that in verse 15, captured the attention. They conveniently seemed to be more all-encompassing in what they wanted to say than were the other words and phrases. Solomon the searcher was able to look at many things in life. He saw all the ups and downs. He says in verse 14, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. But having said that, he also says in the same breath that something is is missing. Inherently limited in all that he has seen. And yes, I know that we said that earlier as well. But now we want to say it in yet a slightly different way in order to press the message home. Solomon says in verse 13, I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And the conclusion, in part, Solomon says, what a heavy burden God has laid on men. Heavy burden? Yes, the fact that everything studied points out how meaningless it all is. Everything in life is futile. There's nothing to be found in life in itself that can ever point us to something new. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, he says in verse 8. The eye never has enough of seeing the ear of hearing because in their search they never find the ultimate answer for what is being sought. It all goes in cycles of never-changing reality. It's not leading us anywhere if we're just looking at the things that are happening again and again. Because it's all repetition of the same thing. Of the sun going up and the sun going down, of the sun going up and the sun going down. And that's the truth that we see in our lives. And there's not one in this life, that which has been created by God, that is man, that can point us to eternity. So everything we look for, and we look for life and eternity, yes we do, everything we look for disappoints and discourages Solomon says, is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. Life is therefore defective, congregation. Indeed, we may say it is beset by sin. And we know, because of what happened in paradise... That sin has destroyed the possibility of eternity. That when God said you will live forever, sin destroyed that for Adam and Eve. And that's the only truth we may see if we look horizontally at life. Then he says it so nicely by way of proverb congregation. 
What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Have you ever tried to straighten out a twisted or bent nail? I used to do that as a young boy. I'm sure you have. Later on, I did it in construction. It seems that one can never straighten it enough so that it's exactly the way it was when new. Even then, when we have it the way we like it, when we think we've got it straight again, admire how well we we did that. Try and hammer it into a hard board and you will find that it usually bends at the same place it did before. Because even as you straightened it, it had lost much of its strength at that point where it was bent. And so to come to the words, what is lacking cannot be counted. One of the frustrations in all of what Solomon has spoken about this this morning, brothers and sisters, is that no matter how hard we try, We cannot discover the answer to eternal life under the conditions of this life. We may search high and low. We may search all over the world. We may take on this philosophy or that. We may gather it from this century or from another. But what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Even as we see that something is wrong in this life congregation, there remains somehow an inherent difficulty that prevents us from correcting it. We've all experienced it at one time or another, that when things go wrong in our family life, we may try to straighten it out, but somehow we cannot get hold of the thing needed to make it perfect again. No matter how much we may try to discover, discover, there remains the reality that we will never obtain the final solution. And why is that, congregation? Well, it's because this world lacks. It does not hold within it the quality wherewith to give us life. It only gives us our moments of pleasure, but then it's replaced by what is sorry or incomplete. It's even so that before we go a step further thinking we are going to gain something, our very lives come to an end. Increase in your knowledge and wisdom, Solomon says, and you will discover what I discovered. What is lacking cannot be counted upon. You must come to know that, brothers and sisters. Know what Solomon knew. And yes, to the increase of sorrow. You must see your sin and misery and know what is remorse. For only then are you in a position to look at where this is all going. And it's just the first chapter. And so we will be brief. As I said before, you've conceded a lot of this, what you've heard this morning. 
you know it is true, but you also know something else, don't you? Indeed you do. Solomon did not live and write in a vacuum congregation. He lived in Israel. He dwelt among the people of God and ruled over them as appointed by God. And in the footsteps of his father David. Solomon would not have come to this book to write what he did as he did. If not that in the back of his mind he knew that even as the world held no answers. He knew of one who did hold the answer. He knew that with all of the frustrations that come with looking at the meaningless of life, there was an answer. And that answer lay with the great-grandson of his father, David, his great-grandson as well, namely Jesus the Christ. It is remarkable that the man who for all ages would be seen as the wisdom of God, would come into this world to deal with the dilemma of Solomon and of all of us as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53. It is he alone who would come, who could take the meaningless and futility of our lives away, congregation. That great Messiah for Solomon, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as through the carrying of the grief we share with Solomon, so as to make it his grief, that we might be eternally set free. Amen.